The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Oh, it's my favorite day of the week and my favorite business show with my favorite colleagues. What more could you want? Yes, it's Squawkbox and these are your headlines. Money markets tempering expectations for a March cut after Fed Chair Jerome Powell pours cold water over moving too fast too soon, saying he's looking for more data to confirm inflation is headed down to 2%. Did you see the payroll? Oh my goodness me, US yields jump following an absolutely stellar payrolls report. Hiring hits 353,000 in January. That is nearly twice the amount forecast. The wild ride in Chinese stocks stretches into a new week with the Shanghai Composite hitting a fresh 52-week low, despite efforts from regulators to calm the situation. The US launches more strikes against Iran-backed groups in the Middle East in retaliation for a drone strike on an American base in Jordan, as White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan warns it is just the beginning. That is not the end of it. We intend to take additional strikes uh, and additional action to continue to send a clear message that the United States will respond when our forces are attacked. And Unicredit results will be crossing the wire soon. We'll break those numbers for you. Plus, we'll chat with the company's CEO, Andrea Ocell, in a first on CNBC interview coming up in 30 minutes' time. Good morning, good morning. How are you morning. feeling? Yes, good, thank you. How are you? You've had a two-week cold. Are you feeling better? <sighs> Trying to shake it. I say that because shake it. Yeah, shake it. Shake it off, yeah. as the great lady would say. Uh, Una credit numbers just mm. in the while. I'll, I'll just wait for a couple more. Okay, I'll tell you what the first flash is. For, uh, fourth quarter net profit, 2.81 billion euros versus 1.21 on the average company-provided consensus. So if, uh, if Reuters have got that right, that is knocking past the expectations. Extraordinary. I'll say it again because it's so dramatic. Fourth quarter net profit, uh, 2.81 billion euros, way in ahead of expectations of 1.21. Again, I just want to make sure that's a comparable figure, though, because sometimes they, you're pick, plucking out the wrong number somewhere. Uh, elsewhere, the revenue, again, beating expectations. We were looking for 5.5 billion uh, euros, roughly. It's coming at just under six. Uh, uh, 5.98 billion. Uh, net interest has come in at uh, 3.61 billion euros versus 3.47. Look, so far, these are knockout figures as well. Fees just about beating expectations. Net loan write downs, again, much lower than the company provided expectation of 657 million. It's coming at 300 million. So, in a world of knockout numbers, and I was going to say about the payroll, which was a knockout number on Friday, we'll come to that. These look, at the moment, very, very solid figures. And this is a company's shares, though, that have had the most amazing rally. They've pretty much doubled uh, off their lows. In fact, a bit more than that. They were 26.67 at the close on Friday, give or take. Um, back in May 2022, they were trading at 8.23. So they've tripled in value. But at the moment... Difficult to see why you shouldn't want to carry on that rally in this stock. Good morning. Good morning. And of course, the platform this sets for Andrea Orchell to embark upon acquisitions. 
this is uh, sort of setting the scene for what he might do in terms of consolidating European banking. Strong platform to Forget begin it. with. Well, this is Forget what he was telling us in Davos. He's going for some of the Central Eastern European banks, potentially, which has been an area where, don't forget, there was a reversal in recent years, as you saw a clean-up of balance sheets well, and a, a risk-weighted assets uh, approach where investors were trying to sort of tackle the balance sheet with the CEO. So it would be a reversal of some of those trends that I we've had in the past I didn't expect a great argument view. First thing on a Monday morning, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to pick up that back. I see no chance whatsoever of major cross-border consolidation in Europe in the next couple of years. In core markets? Uh, it major, all markets? Uh, no, I say major. I am talking about the big ladies and gentlemen merging with the big ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I, see, I agree with that. I, I mean, because... 100% growing with that. A, a little bit, uh, having an overseas franchise there in some growth market. But the chances of big deals is because not that they don't want to, not that they're not throwing off cash, not that it isn't right for European banking to create stronger European banks, but the plethora, and you and I must have spoken to a dozen major European banking CEOs in Davos, and to a man and to a woman, unfortunately it was mostly men as well, um, um, to a man and to a woman, they just said, look, the rules are too complicated. There's no banking union. We haven't got that completed. It's going to be very difficult for us to do yeah, this. Yeah, but if you want to work the balance sheet, you have to do something, which is, a, I think, where the conversation went to the Central and Eastern yeah. European economies. And, you know, it wasn't that many years ago I was in a lot of these countries talking about some of the cross-border loans that have been done that had left banking systems in precarious position. So to, to have moved on from that story now where you've got major banks in Europe exploring opportunities to diversify some of their earnings profile to these countries because they are faster growing, and which goes to one of the other arguments we've been having, which is around monetary policy. That monetary policy changes now with interest rates coming down potentially this year. Whoa, 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 well, whoa, at some whoa. point, we don't know how much, but you, know, you set the scene. But it still makes a difference to net interest margins. Does and it? We've, we've climbed to the high water level on net interest margins, yeah. and now we're starting to arguably go down, which means the focus starts to shift to some other income where is it coming from for some sort of diversification of the bank from to fees or to growth from another jurisdiction which is why i think you've got all these bank ceos looking at opportunities at the periphery yes at the periphery um loved your comment on interest rates just there as well i think it's stunningly contentious especially after what we've just seen on the payroll well, we as think well they're coming down we just don't know how much right yeah we're not ruling out a rate cut this year from central banks the question is just how many we're going to get i'll tell you what <laughs> If you get too many more like we saw on Friday, you can start ruling out a rate cut this year. Oh, I don't think we're there I yet. know that's extreme, and yeah. I know that's not peripheral, but I'm not being funny. Did you see the cumulative, what was it, 686, uh, sorry, 688,000 jobs created in the last two months with the upward revision for December plus the Jan as well. This was a block at, blockbuster number. And yeah. I, you know what? I know many people say it's an outlier. It's an outlier. There are signs of weakness in the US economy. But, but both uh, Bailey to me last week and Powell to the market last week as well, and on that 60 Minutes as well, he wants to see, they want to see more evidence. Well, you want to see evidence? Where's the cumulative and lagged effects of 500 basis points of hikes? I can't see it in 688,000 jobs created. Well, I was saying in Davos, the recruitment experts were telling us that the labour market is still very strong which was you know, pushed back against the narrative of all the, all the rate cuts that the market was pricing in, that they just didn't see how the labour market would soften up to the extent that you would get some sort of recessionary-like response from central banks, yeah, which is what yeah, uh, had right. been priced in. Almost as staggering was the average hourly earnings, yeah. up 0.6% on the month. 
That is the biggest figure we've seen since March 2022. Anyway, we'll, we'll do this later, but I, I thought they were staggering figures. Maybe they're an outlier. Maybe not. Just to tease up what's coming up on the show, we're going to be having a conversation around bank earnings, but also the monetary policy backdrop with the Unicredit CEO, Andrea Orchell. That is a first on CMC interview coming up in uh, about half an hour's time. Um, you want to know what they're going to do with the money over Unicredit? They're going to increase the shareholder returns as well. Unicredit dividend accrual will increase to 40% of net profit from 35% of payout on 2023 with residual payout on net profit in the form of buybacks. What they're basically saying is we get to a certain level. You saw this a lot in the oil markets when oil was a certain <coughs> price as well. You get to a certain level, you think, yeah, we'll just hand it back. I mean, that's very interesting. And despite all our eulogizing about Unicredit, so it only trades at six times forward, 0.7 wow. price to book. Divi yield already 3.7, set to increase. See, right. the, see the road? 16.5%. That's high. Yeah, and, and they've got plenty of regulatory capital as well. CET1 at 15.9. Look, we, our job is to be forensic and, and be quite you know, challenging to the CEOs. But look, these, these are good figures. What, what, you know, where do we get around it? They're good figures. As you quite rightly say, there may be some people saying it's the high watermark. Yeah. Jerome Powell says the Federal Reserve expects to make around three 25 basis points cuts this year, telling CBS's 60 Minutes that almost all of the rate-setting committee expected rates to come down from their 20-year, 23-year highs this year. In the interview, Powell expanded on his cautious comments after Wednesday's Fed decision, which saw the bank vote to hold rates where they are, saying there was a risk of moving too soon. Well, now money markets are overwhelmingly predicting, here we go again, just like they overwhelmingly predicted wrongly previous cuts. Anyway, they're overwhelmingly predicting the FMC will hold rates where they are at its next meeting. This according to the CME's Fed Watch tool, uh, with expectations of a hold nearly 50% higher than a month ago. Uh, traders had been expecting six cuts this year in December, but have pulled back sharply after that strong jobs report on Friday. U.S. government debt continued its Friday sell-off. It wasn't dramatic, I've got to be honest. It wasn't dramatic. It's gone to 4%. It's where we've been most of the last year, isn't it? Anyway, the Friday sell-off on the back of Powell's comments with the 10-year yield spiking overnight. But again, we're at 4.07. You know, you look at the year chart, it's roughly there, isn't it? So let's recap. The non-farm payroll surged past expectations, adding more than 350,000 jobs in January, with unemployment holding at 3.7% below expectations. Uh, Mr. Gamede, good morning to you, sir. Yeah, good morning, Steve. So let's unpack that number. Now, let's unravel it, right? And you had specifically made note of 688,000 jobs being added over the two-month period, December then and January. That's also because of the revision that happened then in those December numbers, right? So the December, December number ended up being 333,000 jobs added in the month of December alone. That is an additional 117,000 jobs added in the month of December, of course, creating a greater accumulation and a stronger set of numbers then for that uh, unemployment number out of the United States. Unemployment rate, 3.7%. The market had initially anticipated 3.8% uh, there. November's number was also revised up to 182,000. So that's an increase of 9,000. So still... The strength in that jobs market had initially continued overall. Uh, also, inflationary data when it comes to these job numbers, you saw greater than expected wage growth. 4.5% wage growth in that month versus 4.1% previously. It highlights the other main risk then that the Fed is trying to manage. 
And that risk is CPI will stall at unacceptably high levels. So while it is coming down, but will it stay at these levels? Overall, Fed Chair Jerome Powell saying that March cut, of course, unlikely. This data perhaps proving it. Steve. Thank you very much indeed for that, Arabile. Cole Smead, CEO of Smead Capital Management, joins us. Cole, always a pleasure speaking to you. Um, I don't know what to make of this, really. Um, I know I said something that was very extreme before we got to you, and that is, are there going to be rate cuts? And I, and I know that's not a central thesis, and it's not even my central thesis, but if you carry on with jobs gains like this, you carry on with average hourly increases like this, that's inflationary, yeah? Yeah, it's great to be with you uh, this morning uh, for, for you guys, uh, this evening for me. Um, think of all the conversations, Steve, we've had the last couple of years about you know, where the U.S. economy is. I remember you and I talking about the last couple of years about you know, the increase in credit card and loan delinquencies and things of that nature. And the, the real risk this whole time has been how strong the economy has been, despite, like you were mentioning earlier, a 500 basis point, very rapid increase in short-term rates. Okay. Now I only point that out because, you know, what has the Fed actually done that we can put our finger on? Well, we know the Fed has raised rates. We know that caused a banking run last spring, and we know that's damaged the bond market. Okay. I think the real question can be, do we know that the lowering of CPI has actually been caused by those short-term policy tools they've used? For example, you commented that you know wage gains continue to be very strong. Uh, the Fed has not affected wage growth, which continues to outpunch inflation as we speak. And I look at the wage growth as a really good picture of inflationary pressures going forward. So I, 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 it sounds weird to talk about that, but again, do we know that the Fed has affected CPI? I would chalk it up to good luck because things like oil prices going down have been a fundamental benefit to the Fed's policy, which they have no control over. Well, um, and look, you've been spot on and as a really strong supporter of the household balance sheet for the last couple of years. So absolute credit where it's due there in those great debates we've had as well. But here's my question. Mm -hmm. Is the strength we're seeing in the US economy, and let's assume it, we can take it at face value and the jobs market remains robust. Is the strength mm -hmm. we're seeing in the consumer, in the employment market, is that going to translate to strength in the stock market from here as well? Because the tensions for the stock market include the refinancing of a lot of companies at much higher levels as well. Can the stock market, I guess I'm asking, carry on going onwards and upwards with these level of interest rates staying higher for longer? It, it is the multi-trillion dollar question uh, to your point, Steve. And I think it is the most important question. So Think about it like this. If you go back to, I'll, I'll harken Buffett's Sun Valley talk in 1999, where he used his 17-year theory. He talked about 64 to 81, 81 to 98, and then the, the 17 years forward from 98 on. And this looks a lot like 1964 to 81, where the economy was generally strong during that 17-year period, and it didn't really benefit the stock market. The stock market went really nowhere during the 17-year period, because despite that strong economy, to your point, that kept money tight, that kept inflationary pressures there. So if anything, the, the better question might be, why is the stock market priced like it is with the economic strength and the Fed uh, being pigeonholed into having to keep, keep these rates high? That's a very dangerous thing for stocks. And to follow on that, the economic benefit we're seeing in the economy has very little tie to the stock market. It doesn't benefit the stock market. What did the stock market do last year? 
Had valuations go up? Did, did it have a lot to do with the earnings growth tied to the economy? Not at all. Well, I want to talk about consumer behavior patterns, too, at this point, because there was a great story on the weekend about how California restaurant prices are going up because uh, the minimum mm-hmm. wages for Californian workers are also set to rise in April to $20 an hour. That's a 25% increase. Now, some of the restaurants are saying we're going to have to increase prices yet again. And Chipotle was one saying, look, another further 5 to 9% in terms of price rises to cover for these higher wages for workers. At what point, though, do people just stop eating out? Consumers change their behaviours even more because they say, I can't pay for that increase that is now on the, on the price of the menu. Yeah, uh, you got to remember, guys, I live in Arizona. One of our favourite sports here in this state is California bashing, and we're really good at it. So to, to, to address what you're getting at, um, the, one of the structural problems that the Fed is dealing with, they didn't create this necessarily, but during the pandemic, we in effect had a generation of Americans leave the workforce. Um, we call those baby boomers. For whatever reason, they said, I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. And what that's put on the labor market is structural undersupply. In effect, we don't have enough people. This is not unique just to the United States. You can see this across the Western world, I would argue. So that's really what we're seeing feeding through those price increases. Anytime you need to deal with a person, there's fewer of them, therefore the cost is higher. And as we all know, whether they're able to work or want to work or not is becoming an increasing problem in parts of the Western world too. So I look at that, that's a structural problem that can't be changed, um, but you just can't change it overnight. And the Fed has nothing to do with that, that's government. But I, that is a structural problem that will feed into CPI, will feed into inflation. And whether it's doing that right now, uh, I don't think is very important because it's a long-term problem. Well, let's get some market thoughts here. If you've got to piece this together, not everything went up last week, even though we saw records on markets. For instance, banking stocks, we saw the KPE falling 4.6 plus percent versus the the FANG stocks that were up 2.3 percent. How do you position around stocks in this market? Yeah, no, the banking world has just been so interesting. And and later we could talk about Unicredit as a picture of that. But um, the, the world we're in right now is whether you're talking about Europe or whether you're talking about the United States, you can go out and buy bank stocks for below book value. And these banks are producing return on capital that's you know greater, greater than 10%, uh, the return on equity of these businesses. Historically speaking, when banks go out and produce double-digit return on equity, if they can do that over sustained periods of time, say five to 10 years, people will pay more than book value. So as an equity investor that enjoys finding those opportunities, I mean, this is hog heaven. Um, it used to be that you could only find those in Europe not that long ago. And as we mentioned, you know, that the Fed caused a banking run because of their policy tools, you know, causing banks to really do stupid things for a season. And it, it, it's the, the banks that made bad decisions that are making banks look attractive in pricing. And so we have been nibbling on some of the regional banks here in the United States, for example, one of them that was in the tumult of last spring, uh, Western Alliance Bank. It's one of our newer uh, U.S. equity holdings. Um, historically, the bank produces high teens return on equity. And the question is, will they sustain that? Will they have a better track record than most others? But those are the kind of opportunities I think investors can pick through. Um, it's not dissimilar to what you guys started off with Unicredit. I mean, it's that's the kind of price performance you can see when you buy attractive banks uh, that are producing great returns. Did you stay clear of New York uh, Community Bank Corp last week, though? The stock was down obviously heavily. Yeah, you know, New York Community Bank, they bought, uh, they, they, they were the ones out buying Signature Bank. And it, what it shows, though, is we're not out of the woods on banking. In other words, we're going to have to sift through the rubble of uh, commercial office, to be frank, and other assets. And we'll be the only affected by this. So we're going to go through probably a two to three year period where you have to go, go through occasional problems, you know, who's got issues, who's got capital issues, 
who can earn their way out of that. This is going to be a two to three year problem, kind of like coming out of the SNL crisis, just not as big because it's not as systemic. Right. Um, but we, we will have to watch consolidation. We fully expect over the next decade, 30% of the banks in America will disappear through consolidation. Cole, terrific to catch up with you. Thank you for giving us some strong calls there. Cole Smead, CEO of Smead Capital Management. Arabile. Well, coming up on the show, more turbulent trade in Chinese equity markets and a new one-year low for the Shanghai Composite, while regulators are now vowing to manage the volatility without bringing in any additional sort of measures. Talk about the latest auction then after the break. Plus, we'll have the latest then from the Middle East as the US and the UK launch further strikes against Houthi targets out in Yemen. And we'll then speak down to the latest results then from Unicredit with the CEO, Andrea Ocell. Don't miss that first on CNBC interview. It's coming up at 7.30 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. A mixed picture across the Chinese markets today. The CSI 300, which tumbled about 5% last week to the lowest level since 2019, with uh, fears of some panic selling taking place in the marketplace and where the margin calls were causing some forced liquidation. You can see that market bouncing today, 1.6%. Shenzhen market still down one6 and the Shanghai Composite just tipping higher now, but uh, certainly a lot of concerns about uh, just what is playing out for the Chinese stock market. Let's get out to Lin Lin for more. Lin, walk us through some of the developments around the Chinese market today. Good morning to you, Karen. As you said there, it's been pretty choppy and volatile, just like what we saw on Friday. And I think it really comes down to a couple of things here. First of all, uh, the very bearish sentiment among domestic investors. And I think that is best encapsulated in terms of the most recent example anyway, in relation to this Weibo post. Of course, Weibo is like the Twitter or X. And on the US embassy in Beijing, they had a post which came out late on Friday, which was very innocuous. It was about the conservation of wild giraffes, but that post has gone absolutely viral. It's got about 160,000 comments underneath it, and certainly one of the themes underscoring these comments is concern and dissatisfaction in terms of the stock market performance, as well as China's economy, with one person posting that this has basically become a wailing wall of Chinese retail equity investors. Of course, a lot of those uh, official accounts on Weibo, they are restricted in terms of what you can comment on or uh, comments completely denied altogether. And certainly this has become basically an unwitting outlet for disgruntled investors. Another uh, element of this is what you've just mentioned in relation to some of the technicals here with more forced liquidations coming through from increasing margin calls, as well as some of these derivative products reaching certain 
knock-in levels, which also creates forced selling, putting more downward pressures on the mainland markets. But we are seeing this choppiness, right? The CSI 300 benchmark, for example, that's the blue chips. It was down more than uh, 2% in Asia uh, morning session. At the moment, it's pared back some of those uh, losses. And a lot of that, according to analysts, has to do with the national team. So these are uh, like firms that are backed by the government. They have, according to a number of analysts, been uh, buying into some of these mainland ETFs, basically uh, guys trying to prop up the markets. But certainly, as far as the performance is concerned, we've got a six straight days of fall. So not having perhaps the desired effects that they were hoping for. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.